Welcome to 60 Weeks, 60 Books, Week 24. This week I'm recalling reading a book by Barry Lopez, a near contemporary of Jonathan Rabban, last week's author. Full disclosure, I have not read any other of Lopez's books, although I loved Arctic Dreams. He started travelling and writing in the mid-1960s, but did not have much recognition outside of the US until the publication of Arctic Dreams in 1986. Would I have even picked up a copy of Arctic Dreams if I had not known Mark Nuttall? I am not sure. I suspect I probably would have. I loved documentaries, and there were two nature documentaries that I watched with particular fascination in the 1980s. The Flight of the Condor, an exploration of the wildlife of the Andes, and The Kingdom of the Ice Bear, which used the movements of polar bears across the Arctic to uncover the habitat and habits of muskox, Arctic foxes and Arctic hares, seal, walrus, whales, and of course the bears themselves, making their way across tracts of land and ice, hunting, raising cubs, and fighting each other as well as investigating the increasing traces left by humans in their wilderness. And I was already a regular reader of travel books. The more remote and obscure the destination, the better. But the incentive to read Arctic Dreams was all the greater, because Mark was determined to go to Greenland. Although we had met intermittently while I was at university, we only got to know each other well in our final year. He was studying social anthropology and rented a room in one of the loveliest homes in Aberdeen, an elegant 18th century house on the Channonry near the cathedral, owned by a senior executive at Thompson Oil and his wife, who juggled working as a doctor with various children. Mark was a couple of years older than the rest of us, having left school straight after O-levels and spending time as an apprentice in his father's business. His father was a dental technician responsible for taking the casts that dentists made from their patients' mouths and turning these into crowns, braces and dentures. Mark went to night school and took his A-levels, got his place at Aberdeen and began studying. His dream was to live with the Inuit, study their ways and play some part in helping them preserve the fragile ecosystem that was the Arctic. He got a first, was accepted for a PhD in Arctic Anthropology at the Scott Polar Research Institute in Cambridge and secured funding from the ESRC for his work. I remember helping him spend the additional funds he was awarded to buy clothing and equipment for his fieldwork at the various serious mountaineering outlets that were based around the Strand in Covent Garden. Sleeping bag, tent, rucksack, carabiners and ice axe, heli Hansen layers, heavy waterproof trousers, down parker, sleeveless gilet, the list went on. We made him dress up in the full garb once he had brought it all home, and he stood as tubby and incongruous as a Michelin man in the summer sun dappling the living room. Arctic Dreams came out in 1986 and I got my copy soon afterwards. I'm not sure if Mark read it before leaving for Greenland in 1988. I only remember the impact it had on me. Lopez was born in 1945. He had an eclectic career as both a writer of fiction and travel journalism, starting small with essays, moving into storytelling and books in the mid-1970s. He was also a spiritual man, at one point in his life considering the priesthood and even a full retreat into life as a Trappist monk. 
Arctic Dreams was the product of some years spent in the Arctic between the late 1970s and early 1980s. He seemed adept at tagging along, accompanying hunters, biologists, researchers of all sorts. The environmental issues that are now pressing were clearly known and understood by many of us 35, 40 years ago. This was especially the case in the field of Arctic studies, where shrinking polar ice and warming temperatures were clearly affecting all sorts of interdependent aspects of fragile Arctic ecosystems by the late 1980s. The Inuit, along with indigenous people right around the world, were then finding their ways of life under increasing threat from industrialization. The encroachment of modern life on land, hunting grounds and migratory patterns was already hugely disruptive and destructive. Lopez's book is utterly compelling from its opening images. He explains the origin of his thinking about the Arctic is shaped by two powerfully contrasting and conflicting aspects of life in the far north. The first, his own encounters with nesting birds during one fleeting summer, which he describes as timeless and full of light, of sublime innocence, of the innate beauty of undisturbed relationships. The second is his reflection on seeing the grave of Edward Israel, the astronomer on an expedition which lasted from 1881 to 1884, led by one Adolphus Greeley. Israel died in May 1884, three weeks before the marooned expedition was rescued. Lopez reflects on the long human struggle to come to terms with the far north, His own travels create in him a sense of deep paradox. The land is at once indifferent to us humans, and yet it is the receptacle for our dreams, our hopes, our desires, and we are embedded in it mentally and physically as it embeds itself in us. Arctic Dreams is a big book, over 500 pages, including the appendices, notes, maps, bibliography and index. Its prologue, nine chapters and epilogue introduce us to the wildlife and the ecosystems that support them. It is a deeply poetic book, rich with observation and metaphor, contemplating the light, the land, the solar system and the sky, the wind, the relationship between the Arctic and the rest of the world, the history of human existence in these open spaces where every living thing cannot simply grow and thrive, but must endure and adapt to the harshest of conditions. There are sudden unforeseen circumstances, late spring snows, unseasonal storms, rain becoming unbreakable ice, that have led to catastrophic falls in the populations of snow geese, harp seals, muskox. And yet, these populations recovered and even thrived. Lopez worked within a team of international scientists, logging, tracking and observing the tundra and its inhabitants, as well as the climate and the passing weather. But he also spent time with indigenous hunters, with artists and with sailors navigating the Northwest Passage, who provide different perspectives and understanding of this great territory. 
What to the untrained eye is a vast emptiness is for Lopez a stage awaiting impending events, rich with evidence of life both past and present. He is accompanied by birds, which hope that this strange animal will turn up something to eat. He finds a mammoth tusk and traces of the Dorset camps established 1,500 years ago, or the stone foundations of a 12th century house, as well as the banal detritus of more recent human incursions, old tins of Prince Albert tobacco, cans of evaporated milk and maple syrup, as well as flashlight batteries and spent ammunition from rifles and shotguns. While Lopez is, in his own words, wrenched by the evidence of upheaval caused by modernity, he is also lost in the landscape itself, a conundrum evoking deeper considerations about the impact of the landscape on those who live in it, about the desire to know it and understand it. Throughout the book, he wrestles with a puzzle of our response and influence on the environment, the way we dream and hope that our small lives will not have been lived for nothing, that it is possible at once, as he says, to live wisely on the land, and in behaving respectfully toward all that the land contains, it is possible to imagine a stifling ignorance falling away from us. Forty years on, the darkness of man's actions in the Arctic and elsewhere seems overwhelming. Lopez discusses the lives and actions of the whalers of the late 18th and 19th centuries, their sense of superiority to the Eskimo, what he describes as a false sophistication and presumptuous. It is of a piece of so much exploration and exploitation of the wild and remote places of our world. We extract and excavate, slaughter and demolish, and yet Lopez observes modern industries, oil, gas and mineral extraction, might be embarked on a course as disastrously short-lived as that of the whaling industry. Lopez explores the history and the legends of the North, Arcticos, the country of the Great Bear, Hyperborea, the blessed birthplace of the North Wind, as well as its evolution as an ecosystem, shaped by constant light during one season and constant darkness in the next. He considers our place in the world and the way we humans can be valuable to one another across centuries, across spaces. He invokes the great library of Alexandria, the music of Bach, the cathedral at Chartres, the great leaps in reasoning achieved by Darwin or Planck. At the back of his mind lingers the thought that all this endeavour, all this achievement could be dismantled and betrayed by politicians and corporations. He is acutely sensitive to the fragility of not just the Arctic, but our whole world, to the narrow, joyless imperatives of late-stage capitalism. He weighs up whether we are headed for extinction in a universe of impersonal, chemical, physical and biological laws, or whether, in his words, we have the intelligence to grasp what is happening, the composure not to be intimidated by its complexity, and the courage to take steps that may bear no fruit in our lifetimes. Rereading Arctic dreams in what will be possibly the hottest year recorded on Earth, where heat waves are sweeping Europe, wildfires are sending apocalyptic ashes into the sky from Canada to New York, 
where sea temperatures are also overheating and destructive flash floods are eating away at infrastructure in Italy and India is disheartening. We ignored the wisdom and science that was perfectly obvious 40 years ago, and we continue to blind ourselves to our truly catastrophic impact on the global climate, with no real sense of urgency or responsibility shaping our response to one extreme weather event after another. Lopez himself has died, officially from prostate cancer, which he had for some years before his death in December 2020. Unofficially, I suspect a factor that contributed to his death much more was the loss of his home in September 2020. He lived in an area near the Mackenzie River in Western Oregon that was ravaged by wildfires in 2020 and in September destroyed the home where Lopez had lived for nearly 50 years. But his words live on. May we all have intelligence, composure and courage in the face of what is to come. Next week's book marks the start of my ongoing delight in crime fiction. We will be revisiting Strong Poison, the novel in which Lord Peter Whimsey falls in love. (laughs) 